Okay, so as we go to Zechariah chapter 11, we are coming off the heels of chapter 10, where God pronounced that there is coming a day when uh, he would gather all those who he scattered and bring redemption for all those who uh, have undergone judgment and discipline. Uh, the end of chapter 10 shows us a, a perfect picture of the early church in Jerusalem when uh, Jews from all over the the Roman world streamed into Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost and were gathered uh, there unto the Messiah through Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Um, uh, it just shows us a glimmer of hope that Zechariah gives the people in the midst uh, of all the trials and things that they're going on that are going on in their lives. But as chapter 11 opens, we are we're pulled back into the present situation in Judea as Zechariah is uh, he's proclaiming his message. Um, by, by this time, uh, Zerubbabel has probably died, uh, and Jerusalem was being led by uh, what God is going to call false shepherds here in uh, in this chapter, worthless shepherds. Um, there's a fundamental lack of godly leadership in the city now, and the people are suffering for it. Uh, not only this, but they're being a, they're being led away from God, and they're they're incurring the judgment that goes along. Along with disobedience and the, the disobedience that they're uh, they're undergoing as they're led away by these worthless shepherds. Um. Uh, it's in this chapter that God pronounces judgment on on those who would rule over his people for their own gain. Uh, and he also instructs Zechariah to, to take on the mantle of a shepherd, uh, of the shepherd of the people, as he is going to, he's going to, uh, he's going to not only prophesy in terms of preaching and saying, this is what the Lord says, but he's going to show uh, the truth of the word that God is speaking through uh, a sign, you know, he's going to take on the mantle of a shepherd, uh, and it's going to prefigure the Messiah who would come and and be the good shepherd. I know that's kind of confusing without the whole context, so I'll explain it as we go along. He's not just going to uh, preach about being a shepherd; he's going to actually uh, he's going to actually symbolize in himself a shepherd. He's going to show them a shepherd. He's going to show them in himself what a shepherd is rather than just telling them about the shepherd. But before we get that far, let's go and uh, read verse 1 and 2, uh, which is a picture of the judgment that's to come. It says, Open your doors, O Lebanon, uh, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, uh, for the thick forest has been felled. Um, God this is a picture of his judgment, destruction of the land, and he he uh, he symbolizes the destruction of the people in judgment for their sins by giving us pictures of these uh, uh, destruction imagery of trees in Lebanon and 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 forests in Bashan, and he gives uh, the picture of this destruction with a bunch of arboreal images. He he paints a picture of the coming judgment, and it's hard for the hearers to miss. Uh, he tells them to prepare themselves because judgment's coming. Uh, when he says, open your doors so that the fire can devour your cedar trees, uh, the cedar uh, tree was celebrated for its size and its, its shapeliness. It occurs 
serves as a metaphor for uh, for kings and uh, and uh, uh, in Judges nine, it's a metaphor for a king, and it, also in Second uh, Kings uh, chapter fourteen, I think, and then in the prophets Isaiah, uh, Ezekiel, uh, and Amos, uh, it, the metaphor is used. The cedar is you know, to be strong as a cedar, or this king was strong as a cedar. Uh, the idea here is that it's pointless to resist uh, because God's judgment is coming against the land. The cedar, the fir, the oaks from Lebanon and Bashan, uh, judgment is coming. So it says, open your doors, Lebanon, because the fire is coming and it's going to devour your mighty men. It's going to devour your uh, strongest, you know, those who you see as the strongest. It's going to devour everything that it touches. Uh, And in verse 3, he begins to narrow down the focus and the cause of the coming judgment. He says, The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. He's still still talking about the imagery of the land being ruined, uh, fire consuming the forests and the and the and the, the the landscape and all those kind of things. Uh, he he's saying that God is coming to spoil the glory of those who are supposed to be shepherding the flock of God. Their status as shepherds and their responsibilities uh, to shepherd the people will be removed from them. Uh, the picture here is so vivid that that judgment will come. So fierce that the land itself will be ruined. Uh, the trees, the 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 lions, the the thicket of the Jordan, all of it's going to be ruined. The prophet uses he used the image of roaring lions. Uh, they're roaring in anguish because the thicket of the Jordan is ruined and it's no longer habitable for them. It's a it's a picture of judgment that's coming. Interestingly enough, uh, in Jeremiah forty nine nineteen, we see that lions did indeed roam the land of Israel, but there are none over there today. And so you can kind of see how uh, the image uh, corresponds with reality when we start talking about the the judgment uh, of God. God focuses all his anger and judgment against the land because they are both filled with worthless shepherds leading the people away from God, and the people themselves are following after these shepherds and refusing uh, to turn to their God. Uh, Here Zechariah tells God tells Zechariah, excuse me, to take up uh, the mantle of a shepherd, and he is going to prefigure and picture uh, the perfect shepherd to come. He's called to act out the part, for lack of a better way of putting it. Now, there there were several other prophets, uh, I'm thinking especially Ezekiel and Jeremiah, who were told to act out certain scenes or actions to illustrate the Word of God for the people. Um, they were told to do this or that. Uh, I think Jeremiah was told to, at one point to shave his beard and, and, uh, and put it in three piles and blow one to the wind to show that some people are going to be scattered and burn one to show that people are going to be uh, destroyed in judgment. And uh, uh, it was either Ezekiel or Isaiah, I'm having a hard time off the top of my head, but was told to lay on his side for so long, a period of time, to to symbolize one thing or another. And so all through the prophets, you see not only they spoke the word of God and they proclaimed the word of God, but they're they're often told to act out the word of God as they're they're proclaiming it to the people. Uh, Hosea also comes to mind. He was told to marry a a prostitute as a sign of what Israel had done in committing adultery against the Lord. So here Zechariah is told 
In verse 4, I haven't read it yet, but he's told to become a shepherd to the people. Uh, of course, this is going to, we're going to see this over and over again, it's going to point to the perfect shepherd who would come and lay down his life for the sheep. And of course, we all know that it's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. But look at the look at the flock of sheep Zechariah is told to shepherd in verse 4. It says, Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock, doomed to slaughter. Now, Think about this for a moment. That is a difficult task indeed. Zechariah is called to become the shepherd of a flock that is already doomed to slaughter. Uh, We will see momentarily that God has already given them over to the false shepherds that they love so much. And we're going to talk about modern-day false shepherds and all those. Uh, God has already given them over because they love following them. But here we also see a picture of God's love and mercy. He is reaching out to them anyway. Uh, it says that they are doomed to slaughter. They're, they're sheep on their way to the mill to be ground up and cut into steaks or, or whatever. Uh, they were not sheep that were going to be sheared every year for their wool. They were not sheep that were uh, used for other benefits. They were sheep that were going to the slaughterhouse. Uh, they were destined to be, to be killed. Uh, these are the people I want you to shepherd Zechariah. Can you imagine being told that? And and also we should notice the reason that these people were doomed to slaughter. They, they were doomed to slaughter because they didn't have a true shepherd. Uh, verse 5 says, those who bury them, or, or excuse me, those who buy them, slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, bless the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. So Zechariah is told to shepherd these people that are doomed to slaughter because their own shepherds are selling them off uh, for their own benefit, and they have no pity upon them. The shepherds of the people are pictured as nothing more than greedy merchants. Uh, they they um, they buy and sell the sheep for slaughter instead of actually shepherding them. Uh, they use them for their own personal gain, and they go about unpunished. They they are only in the shepherding business, so to speak, uh, for what they can get out of it themselves. So the sheep have no one to actually guide them and protect them in the ways of righteousness. Uh, and this is the same picture that Jesus uses when he says that only the true shepherd loves the sheep. The the hired hand, Jesus tells us in the, in the parable that he talks about the, the sheep hand, the hired hand who is just doing what he does for a paycheck, he's going to lay down his job and run when the wolf comes to take the sheep. But the true shepherd, the good shepherd, he lays down his life for the sheep. And we can see this you know, in the life of Israel's um, most famous shepherd, the shepherd king uh, David. Uh, who told King Saul that you know when he was about to face Goliath that whenever a bear or lion would attack one of his sheep he would go out and fight it and he would kill it in order to rescue the sheep from the jaws of of the predator uh, but these men who claim to be shepherds uh, that God is speaking to Zechariah about um, they're they're greedy. They're in it for themselves. They're not in it to actually shepherd the sheep. They're they're selling the people out for profit. And what's what's amazing is they're they're actually thanking the Lord uh, for blessing their endeavors. 
Even though they act selfishly and sacrifice everyone else for their own gain, they're still able to say, bless the Lord, I have become rich. We just read that. Uh, Not only are they not fulfilling their role as shepherds of God's flock, but they're damaging the flock and taking advantage of people so that they can deceitfully benefit from the sheep's destruction. Uh, Today we see this, this same kind of behavior everywhere. Of course, you know, we all have the, the TV preacher guy on your mind right now. Uh, even as I'm speaking, you know, that that's the that's the first thing that comes to mind is the guy who's uh, telling people on the TV to sow your seeds so that you could be blessed. And then he goes out with all that money and, you know, buys a new airplane or, or whatever. Um, and, and that's accurate. That's perfectly accurate of a person who's making merchandise of the people of God. Um, it's accurate of these passages. It fits quite nicely. But even more than that, there is such a, I don't know, a, a sense of individualism today that people have increasingly forsaken the fellowship of the saints to seek after their own desires and wants. Now, don't get me wrong. There's there's nothing wrong with being an individual or being individualistic or whatever, but but God has given the church for us to grow together as he molds and makes us into the community that we will abide in with him forever. Uh, in heaven, uh, I'm sorry, but there aren't any uh, quiet country homes in glory. Uh, New Jerusalem is a city where all the believers will live with one another as a family and, and we'll all be in the presence uh, of Jesus. Now, even as I'm saying this, I'm hearing the objection. You might stop me and say, now wait just a minute. I'm not called to be a shepherd of God's people, so this passage isn't talking to me. But that's where I have to beg to differ with you. Uh, You may not be called to stand in a pulpit and preach to a crowd, or you may not be directly responsible for uh, families that God has placed under your care, but Jesus gave the entire body of believers a command before he ascended into heaven. He said that as we're going, uh, we are to make disciples of every nation no matter who you are or what you do you are called uh, even commanded to be a disciple maker Um, that means you're called to invest your life in someone else you're called to train others in the ways of God and this doesn't mean that you're going to teach a class or uh, something like that it means that your life is wrapped up in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ and you are both discipling younger believers and you are being discipled by older ones at the same time. So you are shepherding someone. Someone is watching your life. You may not be doing a good job at it, uh, but make no mistake, you are shepherding someone and you're leading them somewhere. Uh, It is an enormous responsibility and far too often it's one that we take very lightly. We would rather live for ourselves than live sacrificially uh, for someone else. But this is something that God, I mean, God takes it extremely seriously. Look what he says in verse 6, and and notice that the focus of God's judgment isn't just on those who hold an office of shepherd. It is on all the inhabitants of the land, because they have forsaken his way. It says in verse 6, says, For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. God says, I will no longer have pity on you. 
because of their sin, God will allow them to be conquered. Uh, They have repeatedly broken God's commands and refused to follow his ways, so God will cause them to fall into the hands of their neighbor. That's what he said. They will be taken by a foreign people as God removes his protection from them. He says explicitly here that he will allow the land to be crushed under them and he will not deliver them because of the route that they have taken. Now, I don't know of any language that could possibly be more frightening to be quite honest than this. Uh, God is turning them over to what they desire. This is the same way that it's described by Paul in Romans chapter 1. But even in the midst of the darkest judgment and the hardest rebuke from God, while you still draw breath, there is still mercy available. He is going to have Zechariah illustrate this mercy as he paints a picture of the coming Messiah to the people and becomes a symbol of the one true shepherd that will come and will and will lead the people out out of this bondage and verse um, the next verse says so I became uh, the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders so God told Zechariah I want you to become this shepherd and so Zechariah says so I obeyed I became the shepherd of a flock that's doomed to be slaughtered and I took two staffs one I named favor the other I named union and tended the sheep. Now, uh, different translations translate those differently, favor and union. Some say grace and unity. Um, but the point is, and I'll explain that in, in a moment, but Zechariah obeys God, takes upon himself the mantle of the shepherd of the flock that is already doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. Now, imagine this for a moment. God has given Zechariah a task that he tells him beforehand will not succeed. All right, can you put yourself in in Zechariah's position for a minute? The same thing happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. God said, go and preach my word to these people, but they're not going to listen to you. He gave him a task and told him that it wasn't going to end successfully. Uh, But here's the thing that you and I... We, we have to understand success in our task, uh, as far as God is concerned, is all about obedience, not getting the results that you may or may not want. Uh, especially in Isaiah's case, he was, he was successful because God used the word that Isaiah preached to bring judgment upon the people. So when you speak the word and you, you, know, you serve the Lord, you need to understand that that scripture is true when it says that the word of God, when it goes forth, it will not return void. It will accomplish what God intends for it to do. Now, it may be used to save people and change their hearts, uh, and that's what that a lot of times that's what we deem as successful. Uh, but then again, there's sometimes that it's used to judge people and to harden their hearts. Uh, Zechariah. Uh, he he is told that you know what you're going to go and shepherd this flock, but the flock that you're going to shepherd's doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders. Uh, they're not going to turn to you. They're not going to follow you. They're not going to turn away from those uh, worthless shepherds. Um, Zechariah was he was to take up the staff and he was to become the shepherd to the people, even though he knew already that these people were on a collision course to be slaughtered. But on a deeper level. Think about what Zechariah is representing here. He's representing the shepherd, the good shepherd. Jesus came into a world 
that's cursed and doomed to be wiped out. Uh, in John 3, it says Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And that's right. But many people don't realize that the very next verse in John chapter 3 says that the world was already condemned when Jesus got here. Uh, the world didn't need Jesus to condemn it. It was already condemned. And Jesus came to the world to glorify the Father by giving himself on the cross. So from a, from a worldly human perspective, Jesus couldn't have been a big Bigger failure. Uh, he only, I mean, think about it. He only trained 12 guys. And the twelve out of the 12 he trained, one of them betrayed him anyway. But those 11 that didn't betray him, they didn't understand anything that he was teaching them. They were still clueless when he went to his death. Uh, when he, after he died, they were terrified to actually do any of the things that they were told. And before he could even get his teachings off the ground, he was arrested and killed. Uh, but we know, I mean, that's that's failure, but we know that from God's perspective, which is the only true perspective, Jesus was indeed successful. He did defeat death. He did defeat hell, and he, he defeated the grave. He not only succeeded, but he took upon himself that condemnation of the world. So from our puny little viewpoint, we don't, we don't have the tools or the ability to judge whether our obedience to God's word is successful or not. We're coming at it from an ant's perspective. We're trying to do complex uh, calculus equations uh, with uh, uh, the mind of, a, of an ant. We're we're called to just obey and let God deal with the results. And to be honest, in a very real sense, I mean, that's liberating, don't you think? I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but but God doesn't need you to do everything right to accomplish his will. Uh, he doesn't need me to accomplish his will. We have the privilege of being used by him to do it. And so he says, I want you to go and I want you to shepherd this flock that's that's doomed to, to be slaughtered. Uh, and he tells Zechariah, this is what I want you to do. Uh, already knowing that the people are not going to turn to him. The people are not going to follow him. They're going to go off with the false shepherds that they've always loved and they're going to do what they want to do. God's going to end up raining down judgment upon them for it. Uh, but nonetheless, Zechariah obeys because God has a purpose in all this that's going on. In verse 7 that we read earlier, Zechariah is also given the tools that he needs to do the job. He he takes upon himself uh, the covenant of God uh, to shepherd God's people. That's what it means. In the, in the verse, he has two staffs. Remember, the first one, translated favor here uh, in many translations but uh, the word also means grace it is translated grace in uh, lots of other places so of course you know that grace is how God comes into relationship with his people his covenant relationship with his people is the means by which the shepherd will uh, bring the people to the father so the apostle John said that the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ so the shepherd is equipped with God's grace to guide the people. Uh, he is equipped with uh, the, uh, I don't want to put it this way, but what I'm thinking is the covenant contract, so to speak, uh, the grace of God that he will bring forgiveness and he will bring bring uh, redemption. He is uh, He's equipped with that staff. And you know, the shepherd guides the sheep and disciplines the sheep with the rod and with the staff. And uh, one staff he takes is called grace. It's the covenant of God. The other is called union or unity. Uh, this is the... It's the unity of the people into one body by God's grace. In in Acts chapter 4, 
We read that the people, when the Holy Spirit came, uh, the people were of one mind and one heart because of the new relationship that they shared with uh, with Jesus Christ. Now, at the time of Acts chapter 4, there were uh, upwards of 15,000 people that, that were in the church in Jerusalem, and they were all of one heart. United. I mean, can you imagine that? That, my friends, is a miracle. Uh, it's hard to get five people united on anything, but uh, but God did so through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And today, His church is still united. But the the point in the text is that it was by these two uh, staffs put to uh, that the shepherd guides his sheep by grace and by the unity of the body by uh, being in relationship with him uh, through the grace of God and being in relation in covenant relationship with him uh, by the the body of of Christ the the people of God so Zechariah becomes the shepherd he portrays the one who will come and mediate between God and his people as well as uniting the people of God into one body but that isn't all that he does the first thing he will do is remove all those false shepherds who lead the people astray. And this is what Zechariah does in verse chapter 8, uh, verse chapter 8, verse 8, chapter 11. Uh, in one month, it says, verse 8, in one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So, here the big question is, who are the three shepherds that he destroyed? And why are there only three? Uh, unfortunately, the text doesn't tell us. Uh, there's lots of speculations by scholars and Bible teachers, but the, the truth is that no one knows for sure. It very well could point to the offices of leaders that Jesus will uh, take upon himself when he comes at the Incarnation. These offices uh, are, in, in, in Israel, the offices were the priest, the prophet, and the king. And, of course, we know that Jesus himself came and he was our priest he was the true prophet and he was he was the king the king of kings and so he fulfilled these three offices perfectly uh, of those who the ones who were the priests the prophet and the kings who were filling those offices uh, they were leading the people away from God rather than leading the people to God and so the shepherd the good shepherd came and he took upon those three offices himself and he made perfect atonement to lead his people uh, to God he fulfilled these offices once and for all. Uh, you know, of course, to be honest, we really shouldn't go into too much detail about these as far as being the three shepherds because truthfully, we, we really don't know. It just says that I destroyed the three shepherds and we're left to uh, wonder who they were. But we do know that Zechariah, as a picture of the shepherd, broke the false shepherds because they were at enmity with each other. The, the false shepherds were, uh, they hated the true shepherd and the true shepherd uh was uh was uh looking at the false shepherds in judgment and condemnation so <clears throat> so that's the first part of the chapter it's all about the shepherd the true shepherd the false shepherds that are among the people zechariah takes the mantle of the shepherd but as we said earlier shepherding the sheep isn't always about protection and guidance uh, it is but it's not always sometimes shepherds must discipline the sheep with a rod uh, and that's one of the greatest misconceptions about jesus he came with mercy and forgiveness in his words uh, but to those men who were religious and righteous in their own 
Ananias, he brought nothing but judgment and rebuke for them. Uh, to the Pharisees who refused to give their authority and submission to him, he called them a brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He constantly spoke to them about the coming judgment that was coming for them. Uh, even in, in Revelation 6.16, the people cry to the rocks, uh, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. Listen to this part. And from the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb isn't just a sweet, helpless little creature. In Revelation 6.16, the Lamb himself has wrath, and he will definitely demonstrate that on those who reject him. So here... At this point, in the midway through the chapter, Zechariah is going to demonstrate these attributes of discipline and judgment and uh, vengeance uh, that the faithful shepherd, the true shepherd, uh, will have. The last part of verse 8 shows Zechariah's exasperation with the people. That's the part we read earlier. It says, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. Now, we aren't exactly told why, but you know it, it doesn't take a great leap of logic to see the point uh, the people refused to honor God they refused to turn to God but the shepherd came with his leading and his guidance and the the people detested him for it I mean what a picture what a better picture of Jesus is there uh, even today God's messenger is is often detested unless he comes with those comfortable words that tickle the ears uh, the the truth of truth of God will most certainly bring healing but that healing only comes through the conviction of sin and a faith-filled repentance. We cannot come to God any way we choose. And we must be confronted with the awful reality of our sin so that we can be cleansed and made holy. And so refusal to come to this point of repentance, it leads only to hard-heartedness, it leads to wrath, and it leads ultimately to rejection by Christ. And anyone who's ever taken the responsibility of shepherding someone else, uh, whether it be to disciple them or pastor them or just to uh, to uh, invest in their life in the name of Christ, knows the frustration that Zechariah is about to express. He says in the, in the next verse, he says, so I said, this is Zechariah saying, so I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. The people would not listen or follow. So Zechariah says, you know what, I'm not going to be your shepherd. Man, what a picture. What a picture of Christ turning men over to their own lusts and desires, as it says in Romans chapter 1. Uh, we've mentioned that chapter before already in this, uh, in this, in context of Zechariah 11. But in, in Romans chapter 1, three times Paul says that men have exchanged the truth of God for something else. And three times it says that God gave them up to what they desired. What an awful thought when Jesus says, you know what? Let your will be done. You know, if that's what you want, you go get it. Salvation has come, and it's offered freely to all men. But when that offer is rejected and spurned, there is nothing for the good shepherd to say, but whatever is to die, let it die. And whatever is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Uh, remember, Zechariah is told beforehand i want you to shepherd these people but they're doomed to be slaughtered and so zachariah now says you know what? what's what's doomed to be slaughtered let it be slaughtered 
You know, what's what's uh, what is to die? Let it die. Uh, The reality of the situation is that man has only two options. He has the path of eternal life that comes only through the death, the resurrection of Jesus, or he has the path that leads to eternal death. Uh, Unless the Holy Spirit of God changes a man's heart, death will always be his option. When he chooses death, God will honor his choice. Uh, and that's scary. That sure is. He says, uh, I'm not going to be your shepherd anymore. And in verse 10, he says, and I took my staff, favor, grace, and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. He took his staff because they rejected the shepherd. He symbolically breaks this staff that's called grace. And it says, thereby I nullified the covenant that God made with the people. No longer will he be called their God. No longer will they be called his people. Um, in this simple statement, Zechariah effectively pronounces certain judgment on the people. No longer would they be able to claim that they enjoy some special status with God uh, because of who they are. They have forfeited their covenant status by not heeding the guidance of the shepherd's discipline. All the people knew that Zechariah's action in breaking the staff and the annulling of the covenant was the word of the Lord. That's what he said. And that's what um, that's uh, they completely understood what this meant. And what Zechariah was telling them, he was saying, look, if you refuse to follow the shepherd, then you will no longer be a part of the shepherd's fold. But that's not the end of the good shepherd's dishonor. It says, the next verse says, then I said to them, if it seems good to you, and this is Zechariah talking, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Sound familiar? And verse 13 says, Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the Lord, the, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Uh, notice that the shepherd asks for what is his due. He doesn't demand what's owed him. But he gives them the choice. He has indeed been a shepherd to them. And so, of course, they didn't like the message. They, you know, they, he, he gave them the message that they didn't want to hear. He gave them the word of God that they didn't want to accept. And they refused to be led by him. But he indeed gave them the true word of God. And they most certainly knew it. That's what the previous verse told. They knew that this was the word of the Lord. He had been faithful, just as Jesus was, was faithful in bringing truth and salvation. Yet the people did not want to hear it. Nor did they want to give him what was rightfully due him. Uh, shepherds were to be uh, compensated for their, you know, for their labor. Uh, whether they, you know, if they they owned the sheep, they they worked the sheep or whatever, uh, they were to uh, they were to benefit from that. They were owed a wage, so to speak. And so he uh, he, he they didn't want to uh, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. And because he brought nothing but bad news and and the message of repentance to them. Um, 
he 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 asks for his wage, but he says, "But if you don't want to give it to me, you just you just keep it." Uh, he he's seeking what rightfully is rightfully due him, and Christ also desires his wage. He seeks those who will believe him and worship him in spirit and truth. That's what uh, he told the woman at the well at Samaria. He said, "God is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and truth." But notice what wage they give. 30 pieces of silver that sounds familiar doesn't it that's uh that's all the shepherd is worth to those who reject him isn't it many people know of the 30 pieces of silver when i said 30 pieces of silver your mind immediately went to judas you know judas betrayed jesus for 30 pieces of silver and that's true and it certainly is prefiguring what judas would do in turning away from the good shepherd and following the false shepherds but a lot of people don't know that 30 pieces of silver was the amount of compensation to be paid a slave owner if his slave was killed in Exodus chapter 21, verse 32. So the shepherd who brings the word of God and the truth of the gospel here is valued no higher than a common slave for his work. They don't consider his work valuable at all. And it's almost an insult that they gave him these 30 pieces of silver as the value of his work. Nothing more than a common slate. And verse 13 says, we read it earlier. It says, then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced him. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff, union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Zechariah is told to throw the money to the potter. Now, uh, that is a strange, um, a strange way to put it uh, for us in the modern context because we're thinking of uh, the potter as... As, you know, uh, throw it to the potter's shop, you know, and he'll make some pottery out of it or something like that. But the potter's shops were, and they were there strategically pl- placed uh, around the temple of, uh, of God. The potter's shops were usually located <coughs> near or around uh, refuse pits where, you know, shards of pottery, unusable stuff, broken materials, that kind of th- stuff would be cast. Uh, you can see this in Jeremiah 18.2 and in Jeremiah 19, 1 through 2. So the potter was often, the potter's shop was often by these these places where uh, all this trash was thrown. And so the place of the potter then became a metaphor for a scrap heap. Uh, not only was the shepherd rejected by the people, but the meager worth they pres- the people ascribed to the shepherd is it's rejected by God. Do you see that? So in response, God breaks the unity of the people, and He tells He tells Zechariah, "You just you chunk that to the scrap heap," and then He breaks the staff called unity or union. Uh, once again, you got a picture of God turning men over. He will annul the brotherhood between Judah and Israel, and that was that was one of the um, that was one of the the quintessential promises that God made to uh, the people that I will bring you back, and I will unite you, and I will make you one people, and you will follow me, and I will be your God. And here He's saying, He said, "I broke that staff." He said, "I'm annulling. I'm annulling that uh, that uh, that covenant promise." that you have forsaken me and my ways, you've forsaken my word, you've forsaken to follow the shepherd, and therefore I am breaking that staff called unity and I am annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Remember, Judah was the southern kingdom, Israel was the northern kingdom. We've talked about that before. He says, I'm annulling that that, uh, familial relationship. No longer do they love one another, but they're going to turn toward their own selfishness. And... (coughs) 
of course you've heard that you know if you don't that old maxim if you don't stand for for truth you'll fall for anything well uh, when you choose to trust a lie that's all you get is lies zechariah lays down the mantle of the good shepherd having broken the the staff of union and the staff of grace uh, annulling the covenant but now god commands him again to pick up the mantle but this time he is going to symbolize those evil worthless shepherds that the people have chosen rather than the true one verse 15 says then okay that's the end of that uh, story he said i won't be your shepherd anymore i've broken these staffs and verse 15 says then the lord said to me take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd for behold i am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy but devours the flesh of the fat ones tearing off even their hoofs in verse 17 ends by saying woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock may the sword strike his arm and his right eye let his arm be wholly withered his right eye be utterly blinded so you see what's going on here they rejected the shepherd god broke the staffs annulled his covenant with them uh and he gives them over to the shepherd that they've chosen he says i'm going to raise up uh in the land a shepherd who doesn't care for them who's gonna not gonna heal them he's not gonna nourish them he's not gonna he's not gonna do anything other than devour their flesh Uh, and then in the last verse he says then i'm going to judge i'm going to judge that shepherd who's deserted his flock and you know the sword's going to strike his arm god will give them over to what they've chosen their shepherd will not care for them and do all the things that the good shepherd will do and he'll most certainly be judged harshly for his actions it says woe to the one who deserts the flock when they need him the curse is placed upon him his strength which is talks about is symbolized by his right arm and his wisdom which is symbolized by his right eye will both be destroyed uh and this is uh this is just my personal opinion a lot of people disagree with me and you can take it or leave it um but i believe that this this prophecy of destruction and turning them over and having them uh follow after these false shepherds uh and ultimately ending up in their total destruction uh it was fulfilled as uh after the people rejected jesus in 70 a.d god allowed the roman army to come and destroy the city of Jerusalem utterly destroyed and scattered the people uh, all across the empire uh, from that day forward, from that day forward, the temple has never been rebuilt. Of course, there's some speculation on it being rebuilt now and what will be in the end times and all that. But from that day, from 70 A.D. until now, the temple has not been rebuilt. And from that day, biblical Judaism has never survived. Now, there's still Judaism today, but they're not sacrificing animals anymore. They're not doing temple worship anymore. They're not doing you know anything like that. It, biblical Judaism, the the Judaism of the Old Testament did not survive the destruction of the city in in 70 AD. Uh, And so uh, that's just a speculation on my part. uh, I've got a lot of of evidence for it, and we could talk about that, but it's not necessary that you believe that to understand the the strength of what this chapter is saying. The people, we're we're coming on the brink of the the final judgment uh, of God's people here. They have chosen to 
to follow after false shepherds. They have chosen to deny God's word and God's ways. They have chosen to deny the very word of God himself. And therefore, uh, over the course, you know, no one can deny that from the beginning of Genesis all the way to uh, the end of the Old Testament, God has consistently reached out his hand and blessed these people and called them to come to him, called them to come unto unto his self, and even gave his own son for them so that they would come to know him. And the people rejected him. They rejected the shepherd when he came for them. They rejected his word when they brought it. And they rejected his atoning death as he came and made sacrifice for them. Now, I want you to uh, make sure that you understand this is not just an Old Testament uh, problem. This is still going on today. The Good Shepherd has indeed come. He has come and brought the Word of God, and that Word is uh, repent and believe the Gospel, and the Kingdom of God is at hand. And so today, people are still, whether you're Jew or Gentile, they're still rejecting the Shepherd. They're still rejecting the Word of God. They're still rejecting what, uh, what Christ has done for them. And we can see it most clearly, and we've mentioned Romans 1 in tandem with uh, Zechariah chapter 11 uh, quite a few times, but uh, you can see it most clearly in in the turning over of men to their own desires in Romans chapter 1. There is a time when God will, the Spirit will no longer strive with man. Uh, That doesn't mean that uh, you know, if uh, you're sitting there going, God, please forgive me. God's sitting up there going, nope, I've given you all the chances I'm going to give you. Uh, What that means is that the more we reject His word, the more we turn our ourselves away from Christ and who he is and what he's done, the harder our hearts uh, will get. And God's gospel will still be going forth. God's truth will still be spoken. God's mercy will be new every morning. But we, in in our hardness of heart, will refuse it. We we'll, won't hear it anymore. Uh, and so what we see here is that the people have turned away from the shepherd. Now, as we, you know, back two weeks ago, I talked about the apocalypse language of biblical prophecy and I, I kept saying chapters 10 through 12 well now in the next chapter verse chapters 12 through 14 we really are going to go into uh, the the language of God's uh, judgment and the language of God's ultimate salvation as we talk about um, what many consider to be uh, end times prophecy, we're going to talk a little about that. There's, uh, it's going to be uh, no end to the people who disagree with me on on this topic. Uh, but uh, there are some that say chapters twelve through fourteen speak of Christ and His coming and the kingdom's coming, and then there are others who say that uh, chapters twelve through fourteen talks about Christ's uh, future coming and the end times, the end of all history. And uh, I think the reality is a mixture of the two. And so we'll look at that as we go along. But uh, there's no sense going forward until you understand that uh, the shepherd has come. And there's only one, the only one good shepherd that lays his life down for the sheep. And he's calling you to follow him. And you have a choice today whether you will follow him or not. Uh, And those who uh, choose to harden their hearts when they hear God's voice, um, there may come a time, uh, there indeed will come a time, but there may quickly uh, come a time 
time, and I don't know when it is, and you don't either, that God will turn you over to uh, to what you desire. So the call of Zechariah eleven is to is to come and to lay down lay down your authority and uh, submit yourself to the true shepherd who desires to see his sheep uh, prosper and come into relationship with the the one true God and not to be doomed to destruction.